Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be talking a little bit about some new hockey news that's occurred, and that news is that the Memorial Cup has in fact been canceled, which is pretty rare. Usually these tournaments for the junior hockey leagues go on without a hitch, and I believe that the Memorial Cup has actually been held for the last 102 years. Obviously, we're living in pretty extraordinary times, so I think to to see these events like this being canceled is not exactly a surprise. The International Olympic Committee also just announced that the Tokyo Summer Olympics of 2020 have now been postponed until 2021, which, again, probably not that shocking. Most of the European football competitions had a similar issue, and in this case, things like Europa League and Champions League have also been tentatively pushed back to 2021. With the COVID-19 outbreak, I think a lot of sports leagues and, and competitions that have historically been mainstays and fixtures are going to see significant adjustments to their scheduling, many of them probably being postponed until next year. With all of the postponements and things, obviously I think the natural transition is to sort of look at the future. And for this episode, I thought it'd be kind of cool to take a look at a couple of top talents, not just in the NHL, but also in other world sports. There are plenty of top prospects and young all-stars to choose from in almost every sport, so I'll start with hockey. We'll start with, uh, I guess we can start with Patrick Laine. I mean, Laine, at this point, I don't really need to sell him any more than he already has really sold himself. I think that Laine is probably one of the NHL's highest ceiling potential wingers. I think that the stuff that he can do, especially as he continues to improve his, his physical tool set and his actual execution on the ice makes him an extraordinary talent, and he's also very young. I think the fact that Line continues to improve three seasons into his NHL career as, what, like a 21 or 22-year-old? The, the the growth and strides that he's made, uh, pun intended as far as stride is concerned, I really think, you know, he can develop into something special for the Jets, or if he ever moves on to another team. He has the kind of work ethic, vision, and release that make him one of the most terrifying players in the league. And the fact that his game continues to round out in ways we didn't anticipate only makes me more excited to see what his actual ceiling is. We honestly don't know how good he can get because we just haven't seen his very best. I don't I don't think we have yet. I think we've seen something that's getting a lot closer to it, but he still has a ways to go. His counterpart, Austin Matthews, is a much more finished product, and what Matthews is is more or less one of the most terrifying nut front offensive forces in the NHL. I think one thing that's very clear is that Matthews doesn't really defend at all. In front of his own net, he's not somebody who really man marks aggressively. He's not a particularly physical defender, and more often than not, he's probably going to cheat to fly the zone on a breakout. Unlike a guy like Kyle Connor, Matthews can kind of get away with this because he's so good in the other end of the ice. Matthews is basically just a swath of offensive opportunity wherever he is in the offensive zone. He has a really strong shot, he's a huge, huge kid. And he has really an extremely rare mix of physical build, uh, natural talent and skill, and just a really nasty, lethal offensive instinct. I think that all of these things marry to make him one of the most terrifying players in front of net. If if he sees even a little bit of the net, he's going to score. 
he can shoot from almost any angle and he just seems to have a knack for positioning himself right at the spot where he needs to be when he needs to be there. He's always looking for a goal here and there and he can set up goals as well, but I think that he's also a supreme poacher and his positioning in the offensive zone makes him both a threat at 5v5 and on the power play. Managing him at, you know, a PK unit with him and, you know, William Nylander, Kasperi Kapanen, and whoever else they're putting on. They're probably John Tavares, you know, I guess Morgan Riley, a couple of other guys that they can rotate in and out on the on the 5v4 man advantage. Just a really terrifying unit all around, and Matthews is really at the spearhead of all of it. You know, forget whatever the Leafs are as far as a disappointment. There's nothing disappointing about the way that Matthews can create so much offense from almost a standstill. Connor McDavid, of course, is naturally going to appear on this list because it's Connor McDavid. But I think the other guy that I want to talk about is somebody who people are kind of referring to as the next McDavid. Although stylistically, he... I don't know. I don't know what his style is. I think he's just such a dynamic offensive talent, and he has a lot of progress and, and work to do. But what I can say is that this next guy, Alexis Lafreniere, is entirely unique. His scoring rates seem to outpace someone like Sidney Crosby, and he seems to create offense and really have effortless effortless skating and vision, just like McDavid. The league that he plays in, the QMJHL, is obviously not known for defense or amazing goaltending or anything, but what Lafreniere is doing at his age is absolutely insane. He's truly what we would call a wonder kid, and he might be the best prospect since McDavid. You know, McDavid's only been around a few seasons anyways, but it kind of feels like McDavid's hype and his presence have been felt for years and years. Lafreniere obviously is is not quite the same player that McDavid is, and it'll be curious to see if his ability to read play and his vision, you know, equate to the NHL performance like McDavid did. Connor also just has almost effortless skating, which is something that I think a lot of folks underrate about him. He's one of the best skaters the league has ever seen. And it's not just that his edge work is so refined. It's that he's able to use it to create a lot of explosive speed. He can act, he can attack space in any direction that he wants to. McDavid is kind of thinking in 3D spaces where a lot of guys are just looking at a very surface level approach to say the ice that they're playing on. McDavid can map out spatial awareness at a level that most people can't. If Lafreniere can do that at the NHL level, there's going to be no stopping him, and I don't know what team is going to be lucky enough to draft him, but whoever gets Alexis is going to be getting one of the most special talents the league has ever seen. I truly think that Alexis has potential Hall of Famer material in him, but I, you know, obviously it's very early to say anything like that, and I don't want to write this guy's career for him because he still has yet to author it himself. That said, the numbers for him, especially over the past couple of uh, seasons that he's spent in junior, I don't know, man, this kid might be something really, really unique and special, and I honestly can't wait for somebody to draft him and give him a shot in his first season. He does have some physical maturing to do, but every time he's played for Team Canada, this kid just dominates. With the hockey young players out of the way, I thought I'd talk about some of my favorite young prospects who are currently playing either with professional teams in world football or are perhaps rising through the ranks within the uh, local systems and things for each of these squads. In Bundesliga, we've got a couple of top talents, and I think the first one to mention is going to be Jaden Sancho. Sancho is exceptional for a variety of reasons, but if you've never seen him play, he truly is one of the best, most technical wingers I've ever seen. 
he's kind of like Kyle Connor in the sense that he has some of the best one-on-one matchup skills I've I've encountered in any sport really. I think the way that he can dribble past defenders and basically dupe them with body feints, body rolls, different spins, sick little dribbles, amazing passes, nutmegs. He has every tool in in the arsenal to basically beat a defender or a midfielder or even another forward trying to track back against him. Where he notably excels over someone like Connor is the fact that Sancho is very good at setting up his teammates. He's one of the best assisters in all of Bundesliga, and most certainly, whenever he makes his final move to whatever new league he wants to transfer to, he'll be one of the top assist makers there as well. He makes a ton of great key passes. I think that his vision and distribution are top-notch. And increasingly, Sancho is making better use of the attacking space in the final third and near the box. He used to be somebody who was more of a pass-first player, but now he's taking the initiative more frequently, and it's resulting in some spectacular goal totals and assist totals. I think that Sancho might be one of the most complete wingers out there, even though his defensive value is not particularly high. He was benched earlier this year after the coach said that there were some disciplinary issues, and ever since then, Sancho's been absolutely tremendous. What probably doesn't hurt is the fact that his team, Borussia Dortmund, have also now sourced one of the best young striking prospects in the world. If you somehow don't know the name Erling Haaland yet, then I I suggest that you probably climb out from whatever sports rock you're living under and go look him up. Erling Haaland is one of the world's most sought-after striking prospects because, well, he combines a rare mixture of size, physicality, speed, and extraordinary poaching skill. Holland has one of the best boots in the game, he's very fast, he has an extremely high work rate, which occasionally means he expends a little bit too much energy, but let me tell you, this dude is kind of a freak of nature. In a lot of ways, people have hailed him as the next coming of Robert Lewandowski for Dortmund, and I think that in a lot of ways, I was a little bit hesitant to really dub him that, because Lewandowski is one of the best center forwards in the world. If Robert played for a different league and team, especially one of the big teams like, say, Manchester United or or even, you know, Real Madrid, any of those squads, I think people would understand that he really is one of the most talented, most versatile forwards in football at this moment. While he is getting up there in years and his career at this point is going to start tailing off, I think what Lewandowski can do even at his age, I mean, by all accounts, he was having almost a near career season. This dude just doesn't seem to stop ticking. He's kind of like Alexander Ovechkin in some ways, in that despite his age, he's found ways to stay fit, and he continues to be a world-class goal scorer, and uh, really, he's just great at build-up play too. You can trust him to play a deeper role, and sometimes he's had to do that, but he's very capable of setting up his teammates. And in a lot of ways, Erling Haaland expresses some of those same traits. Haaland is a relentless, tireless worker. I think that he has better vision than he gets credit for. His passing is not always fantastic, and sometimes he overthinks things a little bit. He also needs to work on his footwork a bit, but of course he's what, like 20 years old? And he's already one of the top Bundesliga scorers despite only playing a few games. Haaland is just an unbelievable threat in front of the net, and anytime he's anywhere near, I think that opposing goalkeepers have to be very wary. Of course, for you Canadian fans, this next name is going to be instantly familiar because it's Alfonso Davies. And Davies is truly a special left-back. I think that he might be one of the best left-backs in Bundesliga already, and he hasn't really played more than a season. Davies possesses just freakish speed. I mean, this dude can get up and down the pitch like it's nothing. He possesses an incredible engine. He's got great vision and passing. 
he's not really like a, a strongly defensive winger, I guess, but he is very good at tracking back. And I think that he's actually been able to get better positioning and understand his tackles and timing a lot more as he's grown accustomed to his role. What makes him so good is that he's kind of like Ashraf Hakimi in that he's a very versatile wing back who can arguably be deployed either at the front or at the back and be equally good at both. Bayern have, from MLS, plucked one of the world's best young left backs, and I think that as his experience continues to grow and he continues to develop inside their system, I think that you're going to be looking at a world-class left back in just a season or two. He's already very good as it is, and he's still obviously a bit raw because he's basically just a kid, but Davies has already represented something that I think most MLS fans wouldn't believe is possible, and that's developing a world-class talent from a homegrown program. Alfonso is just a special player, and I think that he's only going to get better as time goes on, and uh, truly a success story that MLS needed, especially with all of the talent that MLS tends to buy instead of develop. In England, of course, there are quite a few talents to choose from, but the guy I'm going to opt with is from another one of my favorite teams, and this one is Ruben Nevis. Nevis is really a sensational deep-lying mid. He possesses the kind of vision and passing, and especially deep ball passing, that really most people only dream of having on their squad. I don't know how to describe him other than that somebody once compared him to uh, the legendary Zabi Alonso, and I think that in some ways that is true. Neves has a very deft touch on the ball and somebody who can pick out a pass from miles away and actually convert with almost peerless accuracy. His long balls and his ability to spy those routes, even diagonally, make him one of the best midfield really conductors that you'll find anywhere else. He's somebody that you can build an entire attack around, and I think that as Nevis continues to get older and more mature, his decision-making and his passing are only going to get better. If nothing else, he also possesses one of the best long shots in the uh, Premier League, and he's put that on display a couple of times. If ever you've seen one of his free kicks, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If he's anywhere within 30 yards of the box, there's a pretty good chance that that shot is going somewhere top corner because Nevis just seems to have a free kick artistry and mastery that few guys his age possess. If there's one thing Nevis does very well when it comes to something like free kicks, it's take advantage of his opportunities. And speaking of taking advantage of opportunities, you too can follow Nevis's example if you're a local Winnipeg business looking to advertise. If you're a listener of this podcast, you've no doubt heard about all of the great advertisers currently working with Locked On to reach sports fans around the world. What you may not know, though, is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach Jets fans on a routine and daily basis. These aren't just any podcast listeners, they're Locked On listeners and they're hardcore hockey fans. If your company wants to connect with Jets fans who are predominantly male, well-educated, and with disposable income, then feel free to drop us a line here at Locked On. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love to support you. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising and drop us a line. Our team will work with you step-by-step to help achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Closing us out tonight, I thought I'd shift gears drastically and talk about my new favorite addiction and how you can get started in said addiction, and that is Animal Crossing New Horizons. I've talked about this game before just because it's a big cultural touch point, and I think a lot of people, especially those who are on Twitter or who are even remotely interested in gaming, have probably some kind of passing interest in, in an Animal Horizon game and what it means. 
If you've never played before and are not a series veteran, which is kind of the position that I was in when I first started, I'd say that Animal Crossing is like this calming, relaxing farming slash life management sim that takes a lot of cues from a similar game called Stardew Valley, which I think a lot of people have ended up playing on PC and whatnot. Animal Crossing isn't quite the same thing, and it's definitely an experience that's driven more by your own personal interest in the game and how much you invest in it, versus there being some sort of plot-driven advancement. There are definitely key points in the game that progress the story and whatnot, but for the most part the experience is what you make of it. It's almost laconic approach to doing things like paying off debts and uh, dealing with your loans and encountering in-game events really makes it a different experience than what you're probably used to. It's a relaxing approach to games that have traditionally been driven by time limits and different things like that, and there are definitely time-limited events in this game. Like, everything is season-driven, time of day in your real world will reflect inside the game, so certain things only become available after dark, and vice versa. All of that kind of stuff does come into play, but for the most part, Animal Crossing is designed not to be that stressful. When you first start out, there's going to be a few things that you should know, and I think the first thing that you need to do is get used to collecting a lot of items from shaking trees and smacking different things, talking to people, and completing odd jobs and tasks. Get comfortable with uh, picking up things like weeds and stuff on the regular because you can always resell that for cheap. Doing different actions and activities gives you what uh, the game calls Nook Miles, and these are small milestones that award you a form of in-game currency that you can use either to buy certain passes and things from Tom Nook himself or the, uh, I guess, the Nook Miles shopping program, or you can also use it to pay off the initial entry loan for moving to the island, which I did. It's like 5,000 miles, and that's basically all of the stuff that you do just from grinding out some of the game's early components. For the most part, the game tracks almost everything you do, so when you earn Nook Miles, you'll get a little bit of an alert on the game's in-game cell phone, and you can accrue those Nook Miles from doing anything from picking up tree branches, to shaking trees, to chopping them down, even talking to friends on a routine basis. All of this stuff continues to add Nook Miles, and when you log in each day and head over to the Nook Miles ATM that's inside Tom Nook's little cabin, it actually gives you a free allotment of Nook Miles to use on whatever you want. You'll also want to get used to doing things like fishing, crafting, and cutting down and harvesting different materials because you can either use that for currency, such as bells, which are essentially the main coinage of the town, or you can save it and use those materials to craft your own items like furniture, uh, building improvements, storage devices, Anything you can imagine inside the game is probably craftable to a degree. You can also pick up fish and different animals and, and plants and stuff and take them to a local museum once the museum is founded. Here you can actually bring fossils that you found on the beach or hiding around inside the forests and stuff to be appraised and eventually constructed into full life-size replicas of whatever the animal is. Each fossil set is part and parceled out, so you'll need to recover all of the components to assemble the full picture, but it's really cool because I've actually gotten to see some of the fully assembled models inside a, uh, a demo when I was in Boston, and the modeling and stuff is extremely detailed. I also liked going to some of the other areas where they had like a local butterfly house, they had a marine aquatic exhibit where you could see sharks and fish swimming around. Whatever you catch and donate to this museum ends up either on display or in some sort of a tank, so it's really cool just to kind of see what you've collected. If you'd rather keep the animals and stuff that you catch yourself, you can display them inside your house. I personally like donating it just because I'd rather go to a building where all of them are collected, but I could totally see why if you caught some duplicate fish and stuff, 
you want to add a fish tank to your house just for a little bit of flair. I'm currently selling all of the duplicate stuff that I come across just because I need the currency to pay off my loans for my first house more than anything, but eventually once I'm more settled in and I've got a relatively stable local economy going, I'm going to start decorating my house a little more and pick up a few more you know, flora and fauna to display proudly. It is kind of funny seeing animal villagers walking around and then picking up very small real-life versions of those animals and putting them on display. I don't know if the uh, animal villagers have any sort of existential crisis, but it is kind of funny to watch. I hope you guys have enjoyed this short discussion about some of the top young players and things that you can get started with in Animal Crossing. If you guys enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out some of the earlier episodes, including game-worn hockey jersey collector interviews. At the conclusion of this episode, be sure to also check out our Locked On NHL National Show, which is hosted by the very wonderful and talented Sarah Avampado. Be sure to check it out, and as always, have a great night, folks. Enjoy your evening, see you tomorrow, and go Jets go!